Greetings, children, and welcome to my chamber. My name is Rotherick Gastblood, and I'm your host of Tales from the Dark Chamber. This week, we have a great show for you. Tales to make your skin crawl. Each week, my chambermate and I read a scary tale that we found on the internet, or perhaps left under some corpse. Either way, we think you're going to like it, and we're just dying for you to hear it. So sit right back, light a candle, and let's have a good evening. <laughs> How are you feeling this week? Mm, not bad. I'm still a little out of whack in my voice, but overall, I'm okay. Well, good. I was afraid you were going to miss this week's story. <laughs> nah, I'm good enough to do this week's tale. So, how did you get over your horrible coughing so quickly? You sounded as if you were on death's door. Which oh, would have been I took interesting. some me- What was that, Rothrick? Oh, sorry. I had a little tickle in my throat as well. Mm, yeah, I bet. Well, if you do get what I had, I have some great medicine from an old Native American man on the other end of town. Says it cures all sorts of illnesses. Oh, really? Yeah. Why, just after I took it, I immediately felt better. Go on. Yeah. And that rash I had from the uh, burrito burn seems to have cleared up. And? Well, besides having a slight chill, I'm pretty much okay. Are you sure about that? Yeah. Why? Woody, you'd better take a look in the mirror. Holy smokes, Rothrick. I'm, I'm, I'm green. I think you'd better go see your medicine man again for another cure. Oh my God, for sure. But first, about our tale tonight. So when we last left the group, they were stranded overnight in this bus with no hope but to try to make it to the road. The soldier hadn't returned and the sun not up yet. Oddly enough, the clocks don't seem to have the right time and, well, you'll just have to find out what happens next in Even Death May Die, Part 4. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got to go see a man about a cure. Even Death May Die Part 4 by R.K. DeWitt Part 4 Descent Jenna whipped around towards the unknown voice behind her. Standing illuminated in the woods was a dark-skinned man, wielding a bow and arrow. He was tall, dark and bald, apart from the long braid in the middle of his head that dangled off the side. The group stood and stared at the strange, native-looking man, collectively bewildered. Come, hurry, said the stranger waving his hand and ushering the group forward. A deep, low, and ungodly roar erupted from behind them once more. Jenna Lee looked back and saw a pair of neon red glowing orbs suspended in front of a giant, shrouded figure, mere yards away. In the darkness, she couldn't quite make out the monstrosity behind her, but it was enormous, bigger than anything she'd ever seen. She turned away and began to run, and as she did, so too did the rest of the group. 
They followed the stranger across the snow-covered grass, Jenna Lee closely behind them. The other four farther behind, Jenna Lee and the stranger reached the edge of the trees. Suddenly, he stopped, prompting her to stop too. Stay there. Do not move past this tree, said the stranger, pointing to a tall, thin tree that had a marking of some sort upon it. It looked similar to a rune, though Jenna Lee had never before seen its likeness. The stranger started back towards the group, who were still running across the open grass, the glowing red orbs getting closer and closer by the second. Clarabelle and Charles were running next to each other. Further ahead were Maria and her daughter. The stranger stopped, dropped to a knee, and knocked an arrow before loosening it to the direction of the monstrosity. It whizzed past the being's head and seemed to enrage it, as a piercing bellow erupted from the beast that shook Jenna to her core, and it barreled ahead towards the runners with alarming speed. Maria, carrying her daughter, reached Jenna Lee and collapsed, crying on the ground. The child was silent and wide-eyed, seemingly oblivious. Jenna Lee brought her gaze back to Clara and Charles, their respective age apparent from their lack of speed. Charles began to inch ahead of Clara, who began to get slower and slower as the seconds went by. The enormous shadow of the beast was slowly closing the distance, but mostly invisible in the darkness. Another arrow whizzed by, over the heads of Clara and Charles, and from the shadow came another noise, a foul, enormous noise that sounded like a million angry wasps swarming in unison, coupled with an enraged bear, the only comparisons that even came remotely close to similarity. At last, Charles reached the tree line and collapsed with a thud. Clara was almost there, mere yards away, when a giant swooping hand emerged from the darkness behind her and wrapped itself around her torso. Clara looked down for a moment at the bony three-fingered hand that was holding her, then lifted her eyes to Jenna Lee's. Help me! Help me! cried out Clara as she and the giant hand that had gripped her disappeared from sight. A shattering scream cut through the darkness. And as Jenna Lee stood and stared in terror into the blackness before her, the very spot where the old driver was, she heard the screaming get farther and farther away, until at last it vanished completely. Jenna Lee remained motionless and peered into the darkness, still in shock when the stranger appeared once more, bow slung over his shoulder. He stopped when he was beside Jenna Lee and put a hand on her shoulder. She's gone. I'm sorry. Come, he said in a voice that Jenna Lee trusted a voice that seemed to bring her back to reality and provide a small amount of comfort. She turned to him, tears streaming down her face, wide-eyed with fear and nodded in agreement. She followed him to the group. Charles's angry voice rang out. What? What the fuck was that? The stranger knelt down to the ground, sighing as he did. That was what my people call i'umbole, or in your tongue, the giving sorrow replied the stranger calmly. What the fuck does that mean? Your people! Who are you? Where the fuck are we? And why is that thing after us? Charles was yelling now. The stranger stood back up and seemed to survey the land around them. It is an ancient being, not of this rock. It struck a deal with my people long ago. I am Nehele, unbending child of this forest, an enemy of Eumbole the eternal shadow over this land. Jenna Lee couldn't quite come to grips with the words this man was saying. None of this seemed real. She had just seen Clara get dragged into the darkness by a huge inhuman hand, 
her piercing screams still echoing inside of her mind. Clara, she's, she's, Jenna struggled for the words. Charles's signature bark interrupted her. She's fucking dead. Gone. Get a grip, girl. That thing just took her, picked her up and dragged her away like it was nothing. It's only a matter of time before it comes for us. Jenna Lee stood there in the cold snow, eyes still locked and staring at the same spot that she had seen the driver get taken just moments ago. At last, she looked back at the group. Maria was silent, apart from panicked breaths. Her daughter looked at her wide-eyed with curiosity. Charles stood in the snow beside them, his hands on his waist and breathing deeply. The stranger was beside the thin tree with the runic marking, stroking it as he spoke words quietly to himself. Words generally could not make out. We are safe from the creature here. This marking protects us from its gaze. We are blind to it, mere shadows. Come, there is shelter nearby. We may stay there for now, Nehele spoke, never looking at anyone apart from Jenali. I'm not fucking going anywhere until you tell me where the fuck we are. We were on a bus, and now we're in the middle of the woods. No road in sight, no sun showing. What is happening? Charles demanded an answer. Very well. If you choose to stay, then stay. This marking will fade soon and you will no longer be invisible, Nehele spoke as he started heading deeper into the forest. Maria grabbed her daughter by the hand and followed Nehele without a word spoken. Genelie followed suit, as did Charles with a reluctant grunt. As they trekked through the snow, deeper into the strange forest, Genelie once again felt the thing inside of her pocket. Its ridges were smooth and coarse, paradoxical and almost nonsensical. She wondered if it was all real. Wake up. Just wake up, she said to herself as she pinched her arm and twisted hard. Nothing. Not a jolt awake. No rush of comfort at that realization that this was all a nightmare, just pain. No Charlie beside her. A face that she normally dreaded, but one that she found herself longing for. He was heavenly in comparison to this descent into hell that she found herself in the midst of. The group walked for what seemed like an hour, at least, before a word was spoken. Are we almost there? My daughter can't make it much further, Maria said tenderly. Yes, we are nearly there. Just beyond this pass, Nehele spoke as he pointed ahead, directing the group. Why did you help us? Why are you helping us? asked Genelie, wondering his motive. Nehele looked back at Genelie, continuing his stride as he spoke. I've seen too many souls consumed. Men, women... His voice broke off and it was silent for a moment, reflective. Children. Nehele glanced at young Fiona, who looked back at him oblivious. No longer will I sit and watch as my people suffer. Your people? asked Genelie, intrigued. Yes. Long ago, my people struck a deal. We prayed to the stars for an answer, a way to protect ourselves from the white man that burned our fields, raped our women, and spread disease and death across the land. The legends say that Iimbua descended from the sky and offered to take us to a place free from the white man's grasp. My ancestors, eager to be protected, accepted this deal, but it came with great cost. In order to sustain this power, which was outside of time as we knew it, the creature demanded gifts of life so that it may feed and sustain strength enough to protect our land. It said its name was incomprehensible to our minds, so my people named the beast the Giving Sorrow. 
the lesser of two evils that could sustain us and save us from this scourge of the white man, Nehele spoke with swift, flowing certainty that resonated. Bullshit, said Charles dismissive. Shut up, said Jenny under her breath to Charles. Go on. The deal was struck, and the land was covered by a dark, endless winter, a small price to pay for seeming salvation, or so thought. We made sacrifices year after year as my people flourished, more unopposed by the demands of their patron they became. It became a god to my people, a savior. It began to demand more lives yearly, and more particular ones at that. Only those born deformed, either mind or soul bore the mark, bestowed by the beast in the womb. This mark was internally etched within the bones of the chosen, invisible to the human eye, but as clearly as day to the Imboa. So you are a part of a cult that worshipped this thing? How do we know that you're not leading us to be sacrificed right now? asked Charles gruffly. Why would he have saved us in the first place from that thing? chimed Maria, speaking at last. Her voice faltered and shook as she spoke. Listen, all I know is that both this guy and that thing showed up at the same time. Doesn't seem like a coincidence to me, Charles yelped out. It wasn't, Nehele said flatly. Charles stopped dead in his tracks, flabbergasted. What do you mean it wasn't? So you admit you had something to do with this after all? Nehele came to a halt, as did the rest of the group behind him. He turned around slowly and faced Charles, his moonlit cast shadow loomed over and dwarfed the old man, who cowered in response. It is only drawn to the mark. We do not know how it embeds this mark, but we do know that only the damaged bear it. One among you must have this mark, or Iimboa would not have a craving for your essence, Nehele spoke with grave certainty. Mark? What does this mark look like? Charles asked, still cowering. It's embedded in the bones of the afflicted. Upon corpses of those chosen are rows of jagged teeth upon solid bone, causing great internal and lasting pain, so much that the chosen often welcome their death and even rejoice, Nehele responded. A wave of horrifying realization washed over Jenny as she felt the thing still in her pocket. Only this time, as she felt it, she no longer wondered what it was. It was the mark Nehele spoke of the very same thing that had been thrown at the bus tire and had started this wild descent into madness. Without thinking, generally removed it from her pocket. The jagged row of teeth glistened in the moonlight as she stared at the mark. Nehele's gaze caught sight of it. He stared, eyes wide, as he lifted his arm up and pointed at her. That is the mark. Charles swung around and faced Jenna Lee. His eyes met the mark she held in her hands with wide and seething fury. What? What the fuck? You? It's your fault we're here. You, you bitch, Charles shouted as he charged at Jenny and wrapped his hands around her neck. Before she could fully process, she was on the ground with Charles atop her, squeezing and grunting. I'll kill you, you bitch, he yelled as he squeezed, trying his utmost to choke the life from her. Maria shrieked in the background, and Fiona sobbed, a chorus of panic that sprung generally into the moment. Stop! Now! Nehele said as he drew an arrow back into his bow and pointed at Charles' head. He immediately released his grip from Jenny, who took a deep breath and coughed feverishly, Charles still sitting on top of her. Anger and rage coursed through Jenny, and almost involuntarily she swung the sharp and jagged teeth of the mark at Charles's exposed face. 
It hit him with a forceful thud that sent him flying back, blood spraying from his mouth. He landed flat on the ground and immediately gently sprung up, put a knee on his chest, a hand in his throat, and brandished the can of pepper spray that her brother had gifted her long ago from inside of her coat. She raised it to his eyes, which were exposed now that his glasses were knocked off his face, and spoke. You put your fucking hands on me again, and I'll empty this whole can in your fucking face, Jenilee shouted, the rest of the group silently looking on in amazement. I've already gone through too much shit from pricks named Charlie already, so don't test me, asshole. Charles whimpered in fear. Okay, okay, I'm calm. Jenilee stood up and brushed herself off. Nahele swung his bow over his shoulder and offered Charles a hand, which was batted away with a grunt as he stood up on his own. Come, we're almost there, said Nahele, directing with his hands. The group started moving again through the dense trees. A fog started to creep up beneath them, which strangely illuminated the woods around them and simultaneously obscured anything in the distance. Another thirty minutes or so, trekking through the deepened snow, they reached a huge black mouth of a cave entrance. Upon a large boulder beside the cave was the same runic marking as was on the tree before. Nahele stopped in his tracks, turned and faced the group once more. Welcome to my home. Come. Even Death May Die, Part 4, by R.K. DeWitt Well, folks, that's our story tonight. Rothrick and I hope you enjoyed it. We sure had a great time bringing it to you, and we really appreciate you listening. Tune in next week when we bring you another chilling tale from the dark chamber. And just a note, if you're an aspiring author and you want your story read here on Tales from the Dark Chamber, send us a note at talesfromthedarkchamber at gmail.com. If it creeps old Rothrick out enough, we'll air it. And if you want your story recorded for your own use or just want to have it, Check out my Fiverr gig at www.fiverr.com forward slash Woody underscore G. Look for the creepy pasta gig. You can order there. And again, thank you for listening tonight.